Big shot. Big shot. They just went ahead. to another episode of the who Dat jedi podcast i am aaron and with me as always dave and fredo guess what guys this is our 150th episode yay Woo! we made it so anyway um yeah 150 times we've done this um and ladies and gentlemen uh dave is uh is in a in a fix right now because his uh college team k-state is playing uh in uh it's uh NCAA tournament or NIT? Yeah. Okay, NCAA. NCAA. And they're playing Michigan State, and it's in overtime. Um, so if he yells and swears, we will uh, um, edit it out because he does. He edits me out all the time when I swear. Um, but uh, anyway, so I believe uh, I believe that the the great George Clooney said it in uh, Oh Brother Rock Now. Dave is in a tight spot. Wow, <laughs> ah, we're in a tight spot. The the great. George Clooney. I don't think that's a, those words have ever been uttered no. together. But um, in that movie, in that movie, I will give I will give him his due. That movie is amazing. So he's uh, so good in that. I bet Aaron has not seen No Brother We're Out. I've seen No Brother We're Out there. Okay, I'm about to say. I'm about to. Say, I was about to say. Oh man! All right. <laughs> so do I have to make a list of all the movies I've seen or something? But uh, anyway. Um, no, tonight though, what I have been watching, I have been watching the Mandalorian. Um, and I don't think we're going to talk about bad batch, uh, except for the fact that I was oh. right once again, I just want to say that I was right once again, because on our last episode, I said, you know, we had this great episode with crosshair and guess what? We're probably going to, you know, walk away from that storyline. And we did. And we went to space Greece and, uh, then, and had a tsunami <laughs> so but then then we came back to it this most recent episode so we're gonna have to get mm-hmm. caught up on bad batch at some point but we've got two episodes of the mandalorian to talk about that are uh very intriguing very very good we have the convert and we have the foundling um and i told dave on saturday um that i'm going to have some things i have not calmed down about this dave by the way i'm still fired up at star okay. wars fandom um but uh so aaron might have a little bit of get off his lawn moment here um but uh more importantly how was everybody saint patrick's day saint patrick's day weekend um i played a lot my finger played until my fingers bled was the summer of yeah anyway no they didn't bleed but uh played a played a lot of gigs had a lot of fun fredo you were at finn's for a time right Oh, yes, yes, yes. So I took Friday off so I could be at the uh, Finn McCool's block party. You know, Finn's being kind of like a secondary home. And uh, that place, well, first of all, if you weren't in New Orleans, we got soaking wet. That was the one thing. All the storms came in and uh, so forced everybody inside. And then we had like a whole couple of pub crawls come by, and like limo buses, six limo buses full of people. And the, the, the Guinness float, the Tully float, yeah, the, the more, Jameson float. Yeah. The more I yeah. think about that, that's Bush League that they that they did that, <laughs> you know. Yeah. See, Dave and I both have Guinness tonight. Uh, but that's Bush League that they do that, too. I mean, I can't. 
six buses in one bar. I mean, it's just come on. Oh, it's God. a lot, and it, and it would it normally would have been okay just from the standpoint of, you know, when they when Finns does his block party, they close up the street. They have enough tables, chairs. They have service outside. The rain forced everybody in, so that crap it sardined everybody in a smaller space than normally would have. And then uh, Sunday, I went to. I took my parents. We went to the Irish Italian Parade out in Mattery, which was fun time. It's usually it's it's way more laid back of all the parades. It's none of the stress that a lot of the other ones kind of cause. Uh, the only downside was it was blustery and cold. So while you're waiting for that, you just huddled and. I'm not trying to stay warm, yeah, and then was, once the parade started rolling, <clears throat> it was cruddy weekend weather. But uh, yeah, um, we got through it. And and Dave, do we get a score update? You looked excited there for a second. That's ninety to ninety. Oh man, I, I am not well. I'm not going to ask you about your St. Patrick's Day because um, you're distracted. But um, um, I suppose we'll uh, we'll we'll see what happens uh, if. I want I want Kate to unmute you what with whatever happens because I want to hear <laughs> if it if it goes south I want to hear like the Happy Gilmore you know swearing you know ceremony but um, so anyway well let's get into some trivia here um, to start off with oh and by the way we're recording this on National Puppy Day so um, Happy Puppy Day to Lucy and Dave's household and to Sophie and Luna and Ellie in our household. Fredo needs a dog. Um, that's all I'll say. Um, <laughs> all right. So speaking of Fredo, here is your question for tonight. Who claims that the Millennium Falcon has saved his life quite a few times? I'm going to go with Lando Calrissian. You would go with Lando. That is right. That is correct. Yay. Didn't you say that hunk of junk saved my life quite yeah. a few times? That hunk, that hunk of junk, uh, no, the fastest hunk of junk in the galaxy saved my life a few times. All right. All right. Dave, if you're listening, who does Darth Sidious refer to as young and naive? Uh, Padme Amidala. Queen Amidala it is. All right. And you guys aren't giving the this the studio audience any time to think about these. You're just rushing right through them. And to me, who urges R2-D2 to take good care of Luke during the rebel evacuation from Hoth? Well, that would be C-3PO, ladies and gentlemen. It is C-3PO. All right. Now we're sufficiently warmed up. Um, we have, looks like, a couple little news bites here maybe just one news bite uh it's it's kind of one big set of news but it it splits into two and uh so let's go first with this came out on tuesday march 21st yep this is march 21st which is it was officially revealed that uh the movie that we've been talking about is most likely to come out the one written by damon lindelof had lost damon lindelof so the head writer for the 2025 Star Wars film that's being directed by Ms. Marvel's Charmin Obai Chinoy. Apparently he he and Justin Britt Gibson, which were the two, the writing team that was crafting it, had gave the draft to the film to Disney Lucasfilm and then in mid-February, and then apparently left the project only days after that happened. So that seemed kind of throw a cold bucket of water into 
all the joy and fun that people were thinking, oh, we might get a Star Wars movie. But then, but then, the, turn, the things turn once again, because yesterday, March 22nd, and not only after that, Variety had an exclusive that uh, Peaky Blinders creator Stephen Knight is coming on board to do to write the movie again. So I don't know if it doesn't say whether he's taking anything from the original screenplay that Lindelof and oh! Big Sorry. Shot. Big Shot. Yes. Big <laughs> they just went ahead. Make sure you, make sure you cuddle afterwards, Dave. Uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah, so uh Variety says that uh original screenwriters Damon Lindelof doesn't forgive them the part of the project. Peaky Blinders, which I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's a show, uh, TV show, BBC, Netflix, with, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, the, uh, the guy who's going uh, to play Oppenheimer, played the Scarecrow in The Dark Knight. Uh-huh. He's going to be, uh, it was a show about gangsters in London. So the creator that's coming in as a new writer, they're keeping the director from this Marvel. And then um, the idea is still to aim for that 2025 re- uh, Christmas release window. Now, we're saying this in March 2023 for a new Star Wars movie to come out in, what, less than two years? Don't know how realistic that is. but I mean, anymore, it can be done. What I still want now, this is another chapter in the book that I want. I want the tell-all book around, you know, Lucasfilm in the uh, 21st century. Um, With all of, there's just, I mean, can we have one project that is not filled with drama? Um, and maybe this happens in more movie projects that, you know, uh, these are the only ones that I pay attention to. Um, but it just certainly seems like, um, yeah, just, it's, it's, yeah, it's surprising. So anyway, um, the Lindelof quote, uh, after the fact was interesting because he talked about not wanting to kind of like not do it well um and like how star wars meant him so much to him like when he was four years old sitting on the lap that's the first movie he ever saw um and he said i just i didn't want to not do it well and that's all i'll say so who knows um whose decision ultimately that was and what the drama actually looked like i mean Still, like you said, I, there'll I, be a book in twenty years. I, I want, us. I want the book. I do. I want the book. So yeah, it's it, it creates a bit of the drama for these productions. Again, it really shouldn't be that way. But you know, the the one good thing I'll say is that you're getting creators who are passionate about this, that want to do this, that want to do good by it. But as we'll probably talk later on uh, in this episode about people involved with Star Wars the margin of error is very slim and if it does if you don't hit it right there's enough segments in the audience who are not positive enough to make your life a living hell so get it right or or run for your life i guess is the uh top of the way you gotta deal with it so but yeah they have a new writer they have a director it's uh, it's gonna be interesting to see whether or not what they keep from the original screenplay that lindelof and his writing partner turned in in mid-February because, again, Christmas 2025. I know it sounds like a long time from now, but it's not. Not not to make one of these movies. No. I, I think it can be done, though. I mean, it, it, so who knows what kind of pre-production work has already been done. 
So, um, you know, like then the one other thing that I'll add to that really briefly is just that um, the turnaround time on uh, post-production has been cut like severely yeah. um, with the, the use of the volume and, and what, what we've seen there. So um, there are ways to do a lot of pre-production that gets you way ahead uh, now. So um, I wouldn't look at the shoot date as necessarily um, being particularly indicated. Yeah, I'm not sure it would indicate that you know, they're behind or whatever necessarily. Well, I guess my, my one concern there is just simply, I mean, uh, Knight's coming in. We don't know, again, how much of it's going to have to do if he's doing a rewrite or if he started from scratch, how long that's going to take him to get it to a spot where Lucasfilm goes, okay, we're going with this forward. Then they have to go through casting, you know, the whole pre-production. You know, so you're right. Some of the pre-production stuff could be done shorter in the post-production, definitely. But there is at least that production period that, you can't short, otherwise you're going to run into drama. But again, they've done it before. Something that's my one fear. Sometimes when we when they do it quick, we get lucky, and sometimes when they do it quick, we get Rise of Skywalker, and everybody's nobody's happy. So anyway, but that's really it for the news this week. We got a lot to get to. And by the way, I'm sorry if there's a ding coming through my family has decided to start sending text messages so i apologize if there's a ding <laughs> everywhere i don't know if it's coming through in the audio but uh you didn't no. you guys didn't hear it all right so sorry if i was annoyed all right before we get on to uh the two episodes of the mandalorian it is time for get off aaron's lawn good news everyone i'm in terrible pain uh probably a new <laughs> segment we're going to have on the um the episode i and or you know, it's uh, what in Family Guy, what really grinds my gears. What's really grinding my gears right now is Star Wars fandom insisting upon a relationship between characters that oh. are just because one's male and one, or actually just between characters. Um, right. And the most recent one is this whole thing people wanting uh, or seeing not wanting but seeing like chemistry like a romantic chemistry between Bo-Katan and and Din Djarin. and it's like in in what universe you know i it's I, I, and i by the way i'm old Aaron here i just learned that in this i'm like one week old from learning what the term shipping is i never knew that's what it was called I'm sorry kids i didn't but now i know so I can sound hip when I talk about this, but quit shipping this bullshit to, you know, the fandom. Um, because it's just, it, it uh, drives me crazy. They did it with Kylo and, um, and Ray. Right. And, you know, yeah, I know Ryan Johnson kind of, you know, there was, there was, there was two people can have intimacy and become close without being romantic and that's what people misunderstood and so then what do they have to do in rise of skywalker pay it off with a kiss and it's like you know never mind the fact that this is a you know horrible we've talked about it before it's like a, a horrible relationship to celebrate you know here's a guy who killed his father and you know millions of people on several planets and you know, oh, now he's a good guy, so I'm going to give him a smooch. But anyway, but on, in the subject of the Mandalorian, it's like there is no evidence whatsoever. They're wearing helmets 98% of the time. You can't even see a wink or 
anything that would allude to anything, but just because I think, I think it's probably because I, you know, I like Katie, Katie Sackhoff and I like, um, uh, the, 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 Pedro, Pedro Pascal. Pascal, you know, and it's like, so I want the two of them to be a couple and it's like, stop, 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 stop. But personally me now, personally me up. I mean, sorry, I'm going to say at, at least in the empire strikes back, at least in the empire strikes back, they wrote it in for Han and Leia to be that heck. They even wrote it in for Luke and Leia to be a thing. That's a, <laughs> um, that was a meme today, right? That Disney, yeah. But, but anyway, um, they wrote it in. So it was part of the storyline, but just because, you know, somebody smiles at somebody else. And even then in Mandalorian, there's no smiling. So I'm just, it, it, it's exhausting. And, and I was listening to a podcast who will remain nameless right now. Um, but they, they said, because two, two of the people were going on about it and the, and a third said, I don't see it. And they said, if you want to see it, you'll see it. And it's like, no, that's not how this works. It's not how this works. So anyway. See, me personally, I'm seeing, I'm seeing, I'm going to ship the uh, uh, Bo-Katan and the armor. There you go. <laughs> there's, no, there, there's as much reason to do that as it is for Bo-Katan and, and Jaren. And again, it's, I kind of get it in some instances. Uh, Game of Thrones streams for doing a lot of that stuff, but then again, that was a show based on people who behave kind of like people, so to speak. The Mandalorians are a war culture, they're a war tribe, they're the dynamics are completely different. So even even Kylo Ren and and Ray to a certain degree, I could kind of okay. Again, like you said, Ryan Johnson did a lot of the heavy lifting in Last Jedi for that. But at the same time, there's a point where you just go, that's just the laziest you know, writing, you know, just because there's nothing there, there. So but people, people want it. And if it's Pedro Pascal, the entire internet. Well, you know, so. so now to be before let Dave chime in, I will, I will say that I want them to get over this whole the way thing because they've got some, I mean, fantastic actors and fantastic looking actors in, you know, you talk about uh, Pedro Pascal, you talk about Katie Sackhoff, you talk about Emily Swallow. Uh, and it's like, and they're all wearing helmets. It's like you have. It's like, come on! Yeah. But um, um, that's anyway. a separate topic, and yeah. I may address that a, a little bit later because um, that that's kind of a recurring theme—the helmet thing—the um, last two weeks. But um, shippers gonna ship. Y'all good with me because it's your head cannon. You know, it's it, that's fine. You can believe what you want to believe. You can do what you want to do, and I'm cool with it. Um, I just think like it is okay for people to suggest to you that maybe some um, ships are more likelier than others. So anyway. I'll say that. All right. Well, here here ends Aaron's get off my lawn segment, and we won. My team won. That was that was kind of <sighs> obvious. Um, either that, or you were very excited about the uh, Star Wars director uh, or writer leaving the film project. Uh, <laughs> so, all right, well, let's uh, let's dive into the Mandalorian here because we got lots to talk about. Um, and the convert, um, I'm going to give uh, just a very brief 
synopsis of it, we start off in the Mines of Mandalore right after Bo-Katan sees the Mythosaur and pulls Din Djarin out. And um, she says, did you see that? And he said, see what? She's like, yeah, nothing. Let's leave. And so off <laughs> they go. And uh, immediately, like, attacked by a, a gazillion TIE interceptors. So, um, and, the, and then some TIE bombers destroy um Bo-Katan's castle so she's now homeless and only a model din din says i know where to go and they go off into hyperspace and then we don't see them again for the next about 40 minutes um because we are here's the word ship <laughs> shipped off to coruscant where um we uh, are following dr pershing around and he's uh, given a ted talk to start off with and there's some really cool easter eggs in here because it's at the opera house um oh hold on gonna rewind okay well actually no this he's, he's at the first okay so i'll get to another another segment of aaron's get off my lawn um here in a minute <laughs> but uh so we're in the opera Can house we talk about the, sh- the the fact that her castle got blown up really really briefly like that well we'll talk about the whole thing i'm just getting the real synopsis here okay. real quick so um dr pershing gives his he's he's in uh this he's trying to uh you know do good for the new republic and there are other um ex-imperials that are part of this uh, amnesty uh program which, all right, here's the part with uh, Aaron's get off my lawn segment. I'm tired of podcasts, like all talking about like they've known what Project Paperclip was, like they've <laughs> known it since ninth grade. And it's like if you learned about it on a podcast or on a YouTube reaction because somebody actually knew what Project Paperclip was, then cite that. Don't say, hey, by the way, did you know that this is just like Project Paperclip? It's like, sorry. Anyway. So anyway, um, back to the Did you know that? Did you know that Operation Paperclip, those scientists stayed in Memphis when they first moved to the States? I know that because I saw saw the places they used to live. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway. so Useless trivia. There you go. So the interesting thing about all these, uh, so all these uh, ex-imperials that are in this amnesty program, they don't have names. They've got numbers and designations. So that's interesting. And, but one of the people that Pershing is uh, in the same complex with is the communications officer from uh, Moff Gideon's ship. And uh, they kind of strike up a little bit of a friendship. Um, and uh, they go have uh, space ice cream and uh, she's like trying to, you know, trying to get him to do his uh, clone research and says, hey, we can get you a lab. And so they end up going and breaking into a Star Destroyer to get him a, 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 a portable lab so he can continue. And like I said, we'll dive into this all deeper here in a second, but they break into a Star Destroyer to get a portable lab so he can continue his cloning um research recreationally and um uh and then they're busted by new republic cops and it turns out that the communications officer whose name is alia kane uh, and this is something i learned on a on a uh, youtube channel on uh, new rock stars or screen crush one of the two so i'm citing my source but it's interesting we should have known that she was bad because when they were eating space ice cream hers was red and his was blue and her name is Aliyah, a liar, and Kane, 
as in Cain and Abel. So they kind of threw it out there for us that it was, you know, kind of obvious. But anyway, um, so he is then taken to the mind flare um, and uh, basically has his mind wiped um, by by his good buddy, Elia Kane. Um, so, all right, so let's let's talk about like I said that was just the, the Cliff's Notes version of what happens let's let's talk about this first of all we're in the minds of Mandalore and um why doesn't Bo-Katan say something about the Mythosaur to Din it's an interesting question just because you wonder if it's something that she's doubting and it'll come towards the end of the next episode if it's something that she thinks she might have misconstrued if she's trying to come to terms what it means. I mean, we know from the plaque she read at the end of the previous The Minds of Mandalore that that used to be a Mythosaur lair. So the idea of finding a real-life Mythosaurus shouldn't be that surprising, but I guess it's further challenging everything she thinks she knows, which is what's interesting about her journey through this, next, this episode and the next, is that she's very much getting put in a position where she has to look at everything the way she behaved, the way what she thought, what she fought for, in a different dynamic, in a different light. Um, especially the children of the watch and the armor and then. So she's having to come at things from a different point of view now. And I wonder if like, this is the beginning of that, because she's now having to doubt even her own eyes. Like, did I really see what I thought I just saw? Because it's not a minor thing. So I think it's um it's really well done. Uh, how they're handling this right now um and you know it remains to be seen if i'll say the same thing you know three episodes later but um the the idea of this dogma uh she has laughed at and has made fun of and is like you you don't believe the old stories you're ridiculous um and then and then she's face to face with it and so now you have to wrestle with your faith um to the point where we're going to talk about the helmets. Um, she doesn't take it off. Um, now, part of that may have been, you know, just happenstance. She didn't happen to take it off for a while. Um, but now she's not taking it off. Um, she's, she's like, let me see where this goes. She's kind of rolling with it a little bit. And, and it pays off at the end of the so, second episode. So we're kind of there. Let's talk about the end of this episode where we get, you know, where Din takes her to, you know, the covert and is, um, and like you said, she's welcomed in by the armor because she took a bath and she hasn't taken off her helmet. Um, and what's interesting, it's, there's because the helmets are on, it is open to your imagination as to what's going on. Is Bo-Katan seeing this as an opportunity? It's like, Hey, all right, mm. I can, you know, I, I'm, I'm in now and I can get yeah. an army together. But the way that I reacted right away was here's somebody who has been alone. She's been sitting in her chair all by herself. Her home just got blown up. And these people who were, not her enemy, but definitely not her friends. Suddenly, hey, you're one of us. All cool. And she now has a family. And, you know, so while she has questioned, like Dave, you were saying, while she has questioned 
the you know the way and the the children you know and fredo you're mentioning you know the children of the watch she's now questioning her way it's like well maybe mine wasn't maybe these people aren't all that bad you know um so that whole i I thought that whole i thought that whole ending was so very interesting when she's getting pats on the back and like everybody's like hey welcome you know blah 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 and um I don't know. How, what do you, what do you think? What was your reaction at the end there as far as what maybe was in Bo-Katan's head? Because all we can do is guess. You're right. All, all we can do is guess because like what you're saying is it might behoove her to not only just find a new tribe because like her castle got blown up. Um, but like in terms of like uniting her people and potentially leading them, et cetera, down the road, like it's, it's a, it would be a calculated move. It would be probably advantageous to her. That having been said, she's seen the mythosaur in her face. Uh, and so now like she's asking questions um, and it's not like you wouldn't do that if you didn't have a, like a, a, a smidge of curiosity about what you're seeing and what you're believing now. And, and the, and the questions come in the next episode and we'll, we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, Fredo, what were you thinking when, you know, they welcomed her into the, uh, and now you are all part of the tribe, you know, it was like, it was like <laughs> one the Ewoks of, all one over One again. of us, one of us, one of us. No, I, I find it interesting because think of the title of the episode, The Convert, and the bulk of the episode spent, spent with Dr. Pershing, but that title could also equally apply to Bo's, Bo-Katan's journey. Because she could very well be starting a, a journey of conversion towards what the the way as the children of the watch perceive it. In some ways, it's almost like what her experience in the minds of Mandalore has kind of shook her. And then combine that with the fact that she just lost her home, like literally got blown up underneath her very feet. So she's got nothing and nowhere to go right now. She's pretty much on her own and for once looking to depend on or needing to depend on other others and the only people she can rely on right now are other Mandalorians, which are these this very sect that she called a cult and she used to dismiss and whatnot. So it creates a position where the fact that they're so open, welcoming, the fact that the armorers pretty much are, look, you did, you fulfilled the task, the impossible task that's set in your way in order to be redeemed. Therefore you're redeemed. You can be with us if you want to. So everybody's just welcome on board. And that's it different dynamic that she's had in in previous experiences with Mandalorians. You know, it's really funny um, how, uh, you know, the whole uh, listening to different podcasts and watching different reaction videos and stuff like that. And everybody's like, so can't just people then just keep taking off their helmet and going to Mandalore and taking a bath and, you know, take off your helmet. Go. It's like kids. That's not how confession works. I, you know, it's like, yes, mm-hmm. you will be, you will be forgiven. But it's like, if you keep coming back to the priest with the same thing week after week, they're going to say, you know, Dave, you got, we got to talk about some stuff here because you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, so I, yeah, I thought that was very interesting, but even more interesting is that, like I said, Bo-Katan and Din are gone for 40 minutes of this episode. So let's mm-hmm. talk about Dr. Pershing's story here. What you get? How did you did you guys dig the the departure from the Mandalorian story? Um, you know, okay, so like, um, 
what's really interesting about this particular episode to me is that you can't read people's intentions just across the board. We were talking about the helmet and not really understanding what's going on under the helmet. Um, we don't fully understand this Imperials game until the very, very, very end. And even then you're kind of like, is she trying to destroy his brain? Is she trying to torture him? Is she trying to kill him? Is she trying to lobotomize him? You know, so like even even at the very end, you're still kind of in the dark. Um, and I and I circle back to this castle thing. Who friggin' bombs the castle? Like, well, that's oh yeah, we didn't talk about that. That's I mean, like who sent all the tie interceptors. So if we want to take it, personal. A, okay, yeah. I'm going to tell you that that's personal because. Like it's not a military target, yeah. Um, and like they just blow up her home. Um, and so like to me that's like a, a major tell that it's personal. Who could it be? Is it somebody that has a grudge against her, or somebody that has a grudge against Din, or both? Um, and so like the intention side of it is kind of your clue um, as to like you know it might be Moff Gideon. Well, and or I it think... might be any number of people who hate din at this point i i think i think moff gideon is the is the obvious answer because in in when they're hanging out in the amnesty um apartments you know they start talking about how you know they've heard that moff gideon escaped and you know and yada da 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 um we also know from the ending of well, from season two of The Mandalorian, that there is a personal history between Bo-Katan and Moff Gideon. We don't know what it is. Um, but, you know, they, they say in the episode, nobody has that many tie-in. No, like, a rogue, what they say, Imperial Overlord doesn't have that many tie interceptors. Um, so the obvious answer is Moff Gideon. Um, I have a feeling that he's probably, I, I think, the stretch goal there is that he's working for Thrawn, you know, because that name has been dropped in the Mandalorian before, but we're not there yet. Um, now I will say though, I, you know, no, we don't know what her intentions were, but it was very clear that she, if she was the devil on his shoulder saying, they're going to, you know, they're going to throw, oh, yeah, she the, set him they're going to throw these computers away, Dave, yeah. just take one home. Yeah. You know, oh no, well, this food is, you know, they put all this food out for free. You can take some home. It's all right. Nobody's going to miss it. You know, it's, you know, nobody, it's 5 a.m. There are no cops around. Run the stoplight. You know, it's that, it's that friend that we all have, you know, somewhere. Um, so she was, you know, so she was, you know, obviously, but I will say it wasn't over the top obvious. It was, it was very well, it was very well done. Yeah, she she was uh, excellent in her performance. Because what I found interesting, you're right. I mean, it was always tiny things. It's you know, at first it was like, what was that you missed from the Empire? Oh, the cookies. Yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> the dark side officially has cookies. Yeah, the dark side officially has cookies. Uh, yeah, biscuits. <laughs> if you're a Ted Lasso fan, um, and so hey, here you go. They're going to go away. Here you go. And then, yeah, why don't we sneak out? And look, who's going to come after us? Let's just sneak out. Oh, you want to touch the top of uh, the mountain, the only piece that's that's like uh, available of the old planet on Coruscant? Why don't you reach over? And, of course, every instance is she just setting him up to go that tiny bit further, that little bit forward. So, you know, if she asks him to go with her to the 
decommissioning junkyard to go steal the stuff from the uh, lab stuff there. He probably would have said no. He would have been like too scared. But the fact she kept kneeling him and pushing and showing, hey, we get away with stuff. This is cool. And he gets more and more into it. By the time he gets caught up, yeah, it's too late. He's not going to say no. And I think part of part of me does wonder if it's, if her goal ultimately is for him to reject the New Republic. Like, look, they're torturing you. They're not listening to you. You, you got all these great ideas. You want to help them. But they're slamming the door in your face, not recognizing that. The New Republic is doing that for its own reasons, but but there's there's a purpose to her actions, and it's to eventually, I think, guide him back towards the loving embrace of whatever the Empire is now. Well, I will say a, a couple things. Uh, first of all, mm-hmm. this episode also does a good job at showing how, um, uh, I'm just going to say inept, the New Republic was. Big time. I guess mm-hmm. maybe they're, yeah. it, it, it's like the pendulum swung way too far and it's like who's got who's gonna leave like i mean i'm sorry if if you go and it's like you're watching uh you know a surgery or something and are they gonna leave you alone with the instrumentation you know i'm just gonna walk away because you seem like a nice person you know Um, okay so that's stretch credibility right but but like that there were multiple examples of like the tolerant left being completely incapable of disciplining um, people when when needed but what do you think uh what do you think gives with the thing that was so striking was like i said they took away the identities of the mm-hmm. imperials and gave them numbers and almost like almost like clones yeah and, and what, that's that's there's a story there uh you know it's like you know it's like okay, welcome to the amnesty program, Dave. Now you are L forty seven. It's like take away your humanity, take away your identity, and then expect them to. It's you just become a worker bee. Have you have you guys seen the movie Spirited Away? Of course, yes, yeah. love it. No. Okay, so it's this anime movie um, from a studio uh, Ghibli. Ghibli. Um, so like one of the main uh, elements to the story is that um, this person who sort of subjugates everybody. Um, one of the ways that she does so is by taking away your name um, so that you forget your former life um, and you lose your name. You lose yourself. You lose that former life and you can't get it back. Um, and that's, a you know, again, part of the story and it, it plays out over the course of the movie where you, you begin to see how that will, will, you know, affect the character. <laughs> I saw a movie Great. like this. It was called roots. Um, <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> I mean, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like, there's lots of examples that you could point to with this. The, the horrible thing is I'm thinking about it. Cause I was thinking about why would the new Republic do this? It's part of it is because, this to me, that kind of no, no confirmation, because a lot of what the Empire did was base its reputation and its fear on positions of power. If you remember a lot of, you know, if you look at somebody like whether it's Grand Moff Tarkin, Grand Admiral Thrawn, their name carried both power and threat, even before they got in to a room or they were involved. So uh, it's the kind of thing where you go, okay, by removing that, we take their power away. And it also allows them to 
allows us to kind of hide them to, to go to the Operation Paperclip uh, example. It allows to kind of hide them away so that victims of them don't come looking for retribution. You know, L85 is not going to get the, you know, the Bothan showing up as opposed to Admiral whoever who sacrificed many Bothans, you know, back at Return of the Jedi. So that kind of thing. So there's reasons why the New Republic would want to do that. However, the difficulty there is, is that it disassociates the imperial officers, the, the people in this program, from the actions. It's actually, it has the opposite effect of a truth and reconciliation committee where you acknowledge the hurt that you've done and you ask the forgiveness of the people you've wronged. In this instance, they're having to do, just go away, don't worry about it, we'll shove it underneath the, the floorboards and you can keep on keeping on and as long as we don't get into trouble, we'll be fine. Well, the I mean, and the meta, you know, lesson mm-hmm. here, and I said it to Brit as we were watching this. I said, "Meet the new boss, same as the old boss." Mm-hmm. You know, Which... it's you know, and that's mm-hmm. let's let's talk about um, you know, as as much as if you get excited that your party wins the White House, it's like the same governmental BS goes on it's just maybe not as annoying to you because it's your guy you know what i mean so but that was that was the thing is that there's you you can you can put a smile on your face but you're still doing awful things to people you're still wiping their brains you're still you know you're still giving them you're taking away their humanity um you know there's it's like i said still some bad things um that was one of the little seductive earworms, though, that she used, her wormtail technique, where she talked about how it was pretty much the same. It's all, it's all the same here, you know. Um, well, yeah, at, have, at the opera house, like uh-huh. Empire Rebellion, they're all the same. We just right, stay but out even, of it, you know. It's but even the Imperial, um, what's her face? I don't know her character. Oh, Alia Kane. Alia Kane. Um, she was in his ear about that. It's like Coruscant looks the same as it did before, you know, and it's like he's not wrong on a on a on a tangent here. Uh, I mean, related, obviously, um, but uh, I don't get into too much of you know the way special effects and things, the way they're shooting stuff. And I I've, I've always liked what they do with the volume, but I will say that this stuff on Coruscant looked very green screeny looked very prequel well it it kind of i was gonna i was gonna say like you know high school you know film uh you know project almost it was it was i liked it i I mean again it was prequely so i liked it but it it just it that's the thing that that bothers me and i won't spend a whole lot of time on this it bothers me when you have an episode that well in the next episode some of the stuff looks incredible and then you have, yeah. like I said, I, I and I wonder, better. I wonder if it's because we spent so much time on Coruscant at once that it became too, you know, obvious. Um, well, two things, uh, director, uh, and, and just like the discretion that they have and the style that they have, et cetera. And then, um, budget, we know that the budget for each episode is not exactly the same. Um, so and even though this stuff, I mean, we had a big action sequence at the beginning, and then we had a you know big thing with the Mandalorians at the end. But primarily, this was an episode in an office building, or people coming to him for more. This is more like uh, the second or fourth episode of uh, of Andor, where 
you know, you're just walking in corridors and more well, conversational. So you don't think of it as needing a lot of special effects, but that's just it. When you need them, you need them. And that's the thing. I also think that Pershing is working at Cyril's desk from Andor. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, it looks exactly the same. Yeah. So, you know, a lot yeah. of people made that, you know, it, it seemed like we went, you know, kind of into an Andor flow. Um, mm-hmm. But again, I think, I th- to me, I still say, come back to, you know, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. It's like things did not change a whole lot. There's still, you know, but um, yeah. And if you know, and if you notice, because what's interesting is not until the time of A New Hope did this Imperial, the, the Senate get dissolved. So and as we're seeing through Bad Batch and we've seen through some of the other shows, a lot of the bureaucracy that the Empire ran under was basically just the the old Republic just with the imperial, the empires on, on top of them, and just a different kind of boss in charge of things. But a lot of the machinery and a lot of the rank and file stuff was just simply the same people doing their gig. And it's it's something that it goes to what the last shit I suggested at regarding you know good guys, bad guys, that stuff don't change. I will say the thing that was totally on the nose, but I loved it was when Pershing turns to the Mon Calamari and says it's a trap oh yeah that uh, that was just like i I was like yeah and he you you almost expected you almost expected the mon calamari just to do a slow turn right into the camera (laughs) but you didn't but it was just like you know it was just i i I liked that it was it was fun it was uh, it was a trap yeah yeah um there's a couple of things that i'm thinking of here um star wars bloodline uh, did either of you guys read that one, that novel? Mm-mm. That was the one that was set um, uh, during this time frame, probably a few years after this. And it was about Leia and her navigating the New Republic and trying to get people on the same page and it not going well. Um, so that really sort of paints the stage of of, of what we're seeing here. Uh, as well as what we saw in uh, the sequel trilogy, which is like this government is like pathetic, right? Like they mm-hmm. can't, they can't even like um, say like we have an army. No, no, we don't have an army. We can't have an army. It's like, well, wait a minute. How can you not have an army? And and so like some of the 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 I guess, I guess permissiveness, you know. Um, that just sort of like permeates um, and, and you see it here. And, and, and so like uh, that was a good novel. Um, it wasn't my favorite Star Wars novel, but it was good. Um, so if you're if you're sort of into this storyline, that might be a good option for people. Um, the other thing, too, is like Pershing. By the end of this, you end up feeling bad for him, right? Because like I felt bad wow. for him from the beginning. I mean, like he didn't deserve that. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, they put him through the ringer. Um, but he really good. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> dude was working with Gideon. Um, so 
you know, is it yeah, the but question of morality comes into play here, right? Like, how do you handle somebody like that who was involved? Like, he shirks all responsibility for this when he's in the opera house talking to everybody and everybody's like, oh, you're so wonderful. You're so wonderful. And he's like, yeah, I guess I am. Uh, it's too bad I don't get to continue my work. Um, and just like doesn't own it. Well, but at all. you know that that you're you're 100 correct, and that but and the interesting thing is that 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 mirrors Bocatan as well. You know, it's like she that's is, what said the convert. You know, yeah, she's she hasn't she hasn't been the way for a whole heck of a long time, and just because that she you know jumped in the water to save Din, and you know, like you said, by happenstance hasn't you know taken off her helmet all's good and so now she gets the full rights and benefits thereof you know the thing with Pershing though that's a real life deal it's like you know how many again how many democrats go to work for a republican administration how many republicans go to work for a democratic you know administration just on just talking politics here um with the thought of you know i have an opportunity to have to at least have my side of the equation you know be heard to have a voice at the table um you know and pershing even from season one he he was not i mean he did not want to hurt grogu he didn't you know he you know you know when uh the client says um dead or alive and he's like no that's not what we talked about um sometimes we you know uh, you know Sometimes when the pay is, you know, the pay and, but, but with purging, it's his, you know, it's what it's his passion is this, you know, this area of science with his his mother's death. And and so you can, you know, so you go where the work is type of a deal. Um, But you're right. But he's, but he's throughout this whole episode, he's constantly, and even, I mean, audibly says in the mirror, you're doing good for the Republic. He's, he's convincing himself. He's selling himself the bill of goods so that he can sleep at night, um, knowing full well that he's, he's breaking all sorts of rules. Um, but like I said, Bo-Katan's kind of the same way. Um, let's, let's move it along a little bit and we can come, we can circle back when we need to, but let's move into the foundling. Um, and at the beginning we are, I'm sorry, guys, we're at land of the lost. Um, (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> we have all the Mandalorians um, on the beach uh, practicing their fighting. That's how we start this one, right? Did I? I just watched it last think. night. They're uh, they're all they're practicing their yeah. fighting, um, and even uh, even little Grogu has to fight the the new um, the most recent foundling, um, and this was a change in Din's relationship and interaction with Grogu this was totally different where before he's been very almost protective and now he's like you know kick his butt quit whining you know rub some dirt on it and you know you know quit sloughing you know what I mean it was he was kind of stern with Grogu whereas before um, he wasn't and I'm going to jump into something here real quick and we can talk about this well, no, we'll talk about it later. But anyway, I don't know what what do you think about Grogu uh, battling the uh, the other little foundling? I think it was interesting that 
Din said, no, it's time for you to start getting into this. Because let's be fair, I mean, Din just two episodes ago asked Grogu to go get Bo-Katan, go get help. So he knows that he's capable. He knows he understands. He's been involved in his journey now for a number of years. John Favreau plays fast and loose with uh, the time on how much time they've been together. But he knows that he's capable. There's a capacity within Grogu to do a lot of this stuff. So it doesn't seem wrong. And at some point, we are going to have to have this transition for Grogu where he does start being, quote unquote, baby Yoda, where he starts actually being a character that can walk and talk and be involved. And that's going to be an interesting thing that we're going to have to see just because it's good. They're going to have to stick that landing. Let's just put it that way. Well, yeah. And you know, it's like a lot of sitcoms where the, the it's like the Brady Bunch. The little kids were really cute. Then they grew up and they had to bring in Cousin Oliver because, you know, the kids were like kind of awkward and in puberty and it would, wasn't cute anymore. Um, so, yeah, you're right. They're going to have to stick that landing. Um, so, I don't know. Dave, how do you feel about um, Baby Yoda jumping around and shooting paintball at uh, the kid? I uh, have mixed feelings about the execution of some of Baby Yoda's movements. Um, There's a little Kermit the Frog in Treasure Island, yeah. Yeah, you know, and I'm like, kind of like, eh, is that, yeah, is it was that how I would have done it, or does it look good? I don't know. Um, so like, I, I kind of get <laughs> to borrow your phrase, I get taken out of it a little bit when I see stuff like that, when I see him doing actiony things. But I think like story wise, it all made sense. Um, this is where Din wants, like, he picked Din. And so Din's like, okay, well, now you're with me, and this is part of our culture, and this is what we're going to do. And so, um, and, like, he, I, he doesn't, like, cross the line uh, into, like, full-on abuse or anything. You know, it's paintballs. Yeah. It's like, okay, you'll be fine. Uh, so now, I thought it was fine. The, the interesting that's thing... Like, I mean, Go ahead, Fredo. No, I was just going to say, that's a good point that Dave makes about you're raising this child within your culture. I'm just thinking about kids who grew up, you know, on, on the bayou, you know, with their daddy's boats or their, their grandparents' boats or who grew up in, you know, gentlemen from the Midwest who grew up, you know, on their farm doing everything out there and being involved with the, that culture. That That's just kind of the, the way that traditions get handed down. You know, you don't sit them down and teach them. You come along, we'll show you and, you, you know, we'll, help you go along but we need you to be a part of this so there's got there's a certain element to that you know, of parenting that's coming from din that's like not just oh i just protect you now i need you to be capable of being a part of this so the thing i found really interesting about this whole scene um and the way it opens up all the mandalorians are all fighting and everything and bo katan's walking around like sean payton you know going around from you know different elements of the practice she's overseeing everything whether i don't know if that is she's assuming that or if that was designated to her but then uh and so i'll loop it into the next thing so i said land of the loss because out of nowhere a pterodactyl comes in and takes a little kid and off you know they go and bo-katan says here's what we're gonna do let's all get my ship we're gonna go you know, because a couple Mandalorians try to chase the pterodactyl down on jetpacks and they run out of gas. And so that's when Bo-Katan says, here's what we're going to do. And she has a plan. Everybody gets in her ship and they go off and 
start chasing this pterodactyl. So, um, again, I mean, if there are people who are just natural leaders, it's like, we've all been in group projects where it's like, you know, there's one person in the group that's like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get stuff done. Um, so I don't really think this is Bo-Katan trying to take over. I think it's just her instincts. There, there's a certain piece of that where, I mean, we know from the character we saw in both Clone Wars as well as Rebels, she's a natural military leader. She's somebody who's take charge. Let's go do this. Uh, it's interesting that she's that she starts off kind of that way because, um, I mean, they even say it when, when the moment it's time for dinner and they all go off to take off their helmets. And it's like, no, you're the leader of the war party. It's a great honor. You get to sit by the fire. We're going to go have our rations on the cold and in the dark where you get to sit here and be warm. So there's, you know, very quickly she's establishing herself as somebody who can lead a party of Mandalorians, which, you know, if you had asked them to do that just a few days prior, they probably wouldn't have given her the time of day. Uh, it doesn't, it does make me wonder how that's going to play out in the future. But, you know, that's it's one of those interesting aspects regarding uh, Mandalorian culture we'll get to see. I think it's fun to like that you pointed out the campfire scene because again, like we're touching on this helmet thing again, and um, I can't help thinking like we're we're making fun of this a little bit um, again. Like, well, how do you eat with the helmet on all the time? You know, it's like, well, here's how we eat. You know, we all have to go through these extraordinary measures to make it happen, and it's like, why? are we doing this? You know, why, why are you all going to these extreme measures to do this? Um, and I think she's, is she going to become an avenue for them to eventually lighten up <laughs> and not be so ridiculous about some of this stuff? Um, because right now she's folded herself into it and she's learning more about it and she's curious about it and she's giving it um uh genuine respect uh she's treating their traditions with respect and she's earning respect in return so it makes me kind of curious about like where that may eventually go um yeah for the store for storytelling purposes for the creators of the show's sanity it would make a lot of sense for their main characters to not have the helmets on all the time. And well, and like, I think, like I said, all of, all of the main actors are extremely easy on the eyes from, like I said, Peter Pascal <laughs> to Katie Sackhoff to Emily Swallow. It's like, but you know, talented too. Yeah. I go back, you know, like my, the, uh, the episode where uh, Pedro has the helmet off uh, is one of my all time favorites of the, of this series because he's just so uh, emotive in that, in that episode. It's, it's really powerful stuff, but like, you know, are we going to get there? Um, here's a potential Avenue, which is that she becomes more and more uh, of a voice of reason within this um, covert. Well, and I think, and we're, we're getting far down the path here. Um, but I think it's not going to be about her battling Din Djarin for the dark saber. It's going to be about her battling the armorer because that's where it's, you know, man, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to cross the line that I was going to cross and start talking about religion, 
but I mean, it's really, I mean, it's, you know, you have two, two sets of dogma and it's, yeah. Anyway, uh, it's, it's religion. We, we can touch on religion at some point. Maybe we are late in this episode to do that, but like, there's a lot going on here that kind of, um, particularly the mythosaur episode that that like sort of paints religion in, in more of a positive light um than we've had in star wars in, in a while and that's always been there um and i think like i think that's good ultimately like the idea of faith um the idea of like belief th- those are powerful concepts and i think like it's good that they're not shying away from those yeah. things but like you talk about organized religion and dogma and, like there's a lot of push and pull there um and there's uh, a big opportunity for conflict and i'll just say just about kind of back you all up on the religion angle the armor is a religious leader the function as, of a leader as a covert is as much a religious one as it is a organizational one she rules or she's in charge because she's the keeper of the the way to put it out in a sense she's the one who kind of keeps everybody in line tells them this is the way and they all this is the way they have to repeat it so it's an interesting dynamic because bo katan comes from a different form of leadership her leadership is one of nobility it's one of uh, authority through all world dynamics so it's different it's more secular and completely different so mm-hmm. It makes you wonder if at some point those two elements, I mean, in the past, we've seen systems that can coexist where a religious leader and a secular leader. I wonder if the Mandalorians are going to be able to discover or as they gather together others, if that's going to be able to coexist. Because at some point, it seems to me like they can only survive with only one leader. And I'm not necessarily sure that's Bo-Katan necessarily. Yeah, you got But she's the one having the visions of mythosaurs and and taking dips and purifying herself in the waters of the minds of Mandalore. So... You know, you got, she's fulfilling prophecy. You got the Catholics and you got the Lutherans. They're going to get together and they're going to make the Episcopalians. But anyway, okay. So, exactly. <laughs> um, but okay. So they all go off chasing after um, the the pterodactyl, and um, the armorer says, "Hey, come on, Grogu," and starts kind of continuing his education as a Mandalorian. And that this whole thing, by the way, is like really kind of plays with my mind because i see something that looks like yoda and he's being trained as a mandalorian it's very cool but it's also very like world is upside downy um but as she's you know whacking away and forging armor and stuff like that grogu starts having like a ptsd flashback and we're back to order 66 and we finally see the jedi that rescued him from the temple and it was Ahmed Best, Jar Jar Binks. No, it wasn't Jar Jar Binks, it, but it was a Jedi played by Taylor Ahmed Beck. Best. Um, and uh, from where? From where, Dave? From where? I don't from know. where? Do you do you remember what show we first saw him on? Yeah, he was on the YouTube show, right? Yeah, the, the Star Wars Jedi Temple Challenges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. That's his character. So that's a, oh, that's a lot. That make that's now canon, and all those kids in there that they're now canon too. <laughs> I was that guy's canon, but like, okay, bravo, right? Are mm-hmm. we happy? I was really happy to see. Him I, I will and, say this. I will say I was really happy when I saw him. I was like, yay! But then at the same time, I was like, oh, because I kind of <laughs> wanted one of the more famous Jedi to be the one who rescued Grogu, mm-hmm. you know. But 
Yes, it was very cool to see him. And, you know, Brittany even mentions, like, you know, how how cool is it of him to come back and do Star Wars after being treated like garbage to the point of almost committing suicide. Um, so, um, yeah, no, I thought it was cool. Um, and it's still, think- it's still it's still an unfinished story. Did they get in a Naboo fighter? A Naboo yes. ship at the end of that? Well, those were yeah, those uniforms, too. Those, those are Naboo uniforms. Naboo. Yeah. yeah. That was one of the Naboo uh, uh, diplomatic ships, similar in nature to the one that uh, Padme goes to uh, Mustafar to go track after uh, Anakin that Obi-Wan sneaks in. So it's very much a Naboo ship. It's very much Naboo soldiers, which leads you to question why were they working with Matt Jedi Master Kelleran back? I think in the way, I mean, and I've heard kind of some people say, why wasn't it Ahsoka, wasn't somebody else? I think in a way this this allows to tell a different story, because the point of the story is not who rescued Grogu, is how did Grogu end up in that planet there were, where Din Djarin meets him? And at some point we're going to connect back to that point. But this is the start of that journey. It's okay, he was being defended by Jedi, Master Kelleran back took him away from Coruscant, Okay, where to next? It, it creates a new dynamic where Kellen Beck, we know we're not going to, you know, he's always going to be at risk because he might die next episode we see right. him. He might come back, you know, he might turn up in the next episode of The Mandalorian as a 30 years down the line, Gristle Jedi Master. You know, the the image everybody's got of a Gristle Mace Windu, that could be Kellen Beck now. Sure. So yeah. th- there's it opens up a lot more storytelling, uh, storyline ideas. Whereas if you had say, oh, it was Obi-Wan, or oh, it was Mace Windu, or oh, it was Ahsoka. We know where some of those characters were at this point in time, so you would have bent incredulity that none of them mentioned Grogu. You know, I think, again, the the bigger story at play here that we're going to have to keep an eye on is, and it was set up in the Book of Boba Fett, is Grogu's identity crisis and crisis of faith. Because he remembers enough of being a Jedi and he has force powers and Luke trained him for a little bit, but you know, he's starting to buy into the Mandalorian culture a little bit like that. So, I mean, this is all like, we got to talk, we're going to have to talk about religion at some point again, not tonight because it's like, you know, I was raised in the Catholic church and then I was married in the Lutheran church and I joined the Lutheran church and then later on started going to the Episcopal church, you know, so it's, and but that that first shift from you know the Catholic Church to the Lutheran Church was a tough shift to make because you know I was raised Catholic and it's like and it's I not think belief I, it's identity and it's not it's just not about belief, it's, it's not just about Catholic but it's like I was ra- mm-hmm. you, if you're raised in a certain religion then at some point it's like I'm I'm being called here there's still something like going man you're t- what 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 if this one over here was was the way. You know what I mean? So I think uh, I think we're going to see maybe Grogu struggling with, and I think eventually, you know, because remember, let's remember, kids, that all this. Let's go back to you know Star Wars Rebels when they talk about Tar Vizsla. Tar Vizsla? No, yeah, Tar, Vi- yeah. Tar the the original uh, Mandalorian Jedi. I think Grogu is going to be the next Mandalorian Jedi. Well, I, like this is the this is the biggest challenge that they're going to have with this show. I think uh, is with because um, there's a lot of fertile ground there, um, and he's a muppet. 
Talk about painting yourself into a corner. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they really kind of did that. Like they went with like this cute thing. Like we're going to want to make sure everybody loves this character design and falls in love with our show. Um, and now you got the handcuffs on a little bit. It's just like, what except, are we going to do with this character? Except if you eventually get him his own helmet and like some armor and stuff like that, then you can start CGIing things a little bit more, um, you know? Yeah. Well, and there are more, more toys to sell that way right. too, you know? Uh, really, so, so okay. action figures. So he, so he does get uh, well, like a chest plate or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. and with the mud horn on it. So that's kind of cool. Um, meanwhile, the hunting party is scaling rocks and they um, rescue the, the other kid. And here's the interesting thing. He called, they, they say he's a foundling. But Paz, Paz, who's the, who's the, Paz, 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 Paz Vizsla says that's my son whereas din says about grogu i'm he's my ward i found that very interesting you know you know that that's my son that's my ward I don't know that that just, I, I that read it literally me. in the moment like that that mm-hmm. is his son just, but you're but you're right like they do refer to the child I think as a family this is and this is the name of the episode right um mm-hmm. and so yeah no like that's actually a really insightful piece of dialogue in that way because it's like okay uh yeah like Din apparently has a little bit more growing to do in that in that in that father role because if he's not calling him his son he's not prepared to do that yeah. yet um he's still got a little more growing to do and it makes me i mean at first when when he first said his son i thought i mean i do think it's literally Paz Vizsla's flesh and blood meaning his biological child um so that may be why uh he's more willing to say that at the same time though it's uh you know we haven't found the, the social, the societal dynamics of making babies while taking with, without taking your helmet off. I mean, well, yeah. you know, yeah. How do some, you make that some happen? Pe- some so, people have a kink, you know. Uh, exactly. exactly. Okay, but I guess, so, to your point, foundling's an interesting term in and of itself. Right. It, 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 it denotes you, you've been found, right? But like right. from a religious perspective, yeah, I've been could... found, right? I've been born again. Right. That's um, true. That's true. You know. And so, like, it could just mean that. It doesn't necessarily right. mean, like, you've been adopted into the That's tribe. That's true. Right. Um, we need, and so okay, it could be have, his literal flesh and blood. We have, we we have questions. We need answers, too. Oh, yeah. um, but, it's, it's, but just real quick, it's interesting, because much like the last episode, you could call the convert either Dr. Pershing or Bo-Katan. In this episode, the foundling refers to both the, the foundling that they're going to go chase and Grogu. Yep. So it's there's a and the pterodactyls. So oh, and yeah. the little uh, baby pterodactyls. They're families now. I will tell you when after because they 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 kill the mama pterodactyl and I was it's like, always a bigger fish. I was like, oh, what about the babies? 
And then when they come back, you know, with in Bo-Katan's ship, and then they like, hey, we got three more foundlings for you, and they bring down the little pterodactyl babies. I was like, oh, thank goodness. It's like, you know, it's like any show. If the if the dog dies, it just, you know, like it, it's horrible. Um, but I think what's going to be interesting. It's like here's now we've got three little things that we can train, you know, people to, you know, to ride and to it's it's kind of that is this the new mythosaur type of thing but let's talk about the mythosaur because bo-katan loses a shoulder pauldron in the battle and the armor is like hey we need to fix that for you and while, did you think it was her helmet did you think it was her helmet i thought no it was I, her helmet at first i've been down this road i know what it looks like when you lose a shoulder pauldron in a parade um but uh, no it was uh so she's getting a new pauldron and she wants the mythosaur on on it so she'll have the night owl on one and the mythosaur on the other and then she has again here's religion folks but she kind of has a little confession moment and said what would you say if i told you i saw a mythosaur and you know the uh, armorer says you know oh we all see things and she's like no i saw a mythosaur and her response was this is the way Right, you will see many things, too. Yeah, on the way. Yeah. Um, and so, like again, it's not necessarily um a rebuff, um, or a denial, and it's not a um. But without seeing, either. without seeing the that's the thing that's so intriguing yeah. and frustrating at the same time. Without seeing the facial expression of like, oh crud, you know, she saw. You know, all we can do is read the dialogue body. that comes out. The body and just, you know, that's all we can do because it's like, is the armor feeling threatened? Does she feel that, you know, Bo-Katan is full of crap? Is she like, oh, wow, our prophet has prophecies have come, you know, true. You know what? There's a lot of things, again, because we can't read the actor's face in this. I guess, you know, what I find interesting about that moment, not only was it, it was, first of all, that bo this is the moment she reveals it. She didn't reveal it to Din. She didn't reveal it to the whole crowd. It was just her and the armor. It and was she's her really, and the priest. She was confessing. Yeah, she's, she was seeking validation from the one person with the knowledge and the understanding to give it to her. Because if she had said she met a mythosaur to Din, they would have been like wizard and it might not have meant much to him. Might not have meant much. Yeah, might not have meant much to him. Taking it back. Whereas, it, yeah. Whereas, uh, bringing it back, baby. Arm- yeah, bringing it back, baby. I mean, we're all bringing it back. So, uh, whereas with-, with the armorer, she can give it to her in a certain context and a certain frame of mind. And it's interesting that the frame of mind that the armorer chooses to go to is very much a spiritual one. It's a look. Well, you walk the way, you get to see some cool stuff. And. And not to, not to, I know we're, we're, mm-hmm. we, Dave's alarm has gone off a while ago. Um, but it's, you know, I, that's one of the things that I've, I've often thought about. It's like, you read the Bible, God's talking to everybody, you know, in, in the New Testament, Testament. he's, he's ta- in the Old Testament, he's talking to everybody. And mm-hmm. imagine today, if, you know, you go and say, well, I mean, it's, it's like the movie from the eighties. Oh God, you know, John Denver's, I spoke to God and everybody says, you're a nut. You know, mm-hmm. you're an absolute nut. Even, you know, I think if you were to go to if God speaks to you and you went to your, you know, parish priest and said, God talked to me last night, he probably would say, you know, 
well, yeah, God talks to us all. It's in our, you know, it's our conscience. Yeah. It's our, no, I heard his voice. Oh, you're kind of a little nutbag there, Aaron. You know, I mean, there'd be, I think, a little bit of that because we don't perceive that as happening anymore. So they're, they're, yeah. they're going down some, some deep, some deep holes here that uh, could be interesting for some conversations. So, yeah, yeah. Hey, it creates a dynamic where it, puts a lot of what the Mandalorians are front and center, which I think is really, we needed this for this season to work. We've been introduced to these characters. We know them as secondary characters in other shows. This is shows about them. So we need to start getting into the nuts and bolts of what the way is. We need to start believe, understanding where they're coming from because that's where a lot of the conflict is going to come in. The, the fact that Din had to go through his journey in order to be redeemed and okay, now he's redeemed. What does that mean? The fact that Bo's not going through his journey, what does that mean? So that's where we're going to see some of the internal conflicts with these characters. A lot of the external conflicts, leadership, as their cover grows. It's going to be interesting to see what happens because Bo-Katan knows where a lot of the scattered Mandalorians are. So is she going to start trying to recruit, bring everybody together? I don't know. But, but it's conflict and that creates story. You know, over and over and over again, we we hear um, a lot of the same refrains in this show, and and the the titles of each individual episode usually have a deeper meaning. And uh, the title of the series, the man, the Mandalorian. Um, I, I don't think that it's going to be meaningless, and that it's just going to be referring to Dan. Um, I think that it's meant to denote more than that. What does it mean to be a Mandalorian? And we're really starting to dive into that in a little bit more of a satisfactory way. And to your to your point, Fredo, I think like this is where we needed to go. Um, you know, Lone Wolf and Cub is entertaining, and it's it's a it's a great premise for a show. And you can you can do the the you know the wandering samurai for. Um, for six seasons or more, if you wanted to, um, you could do uh, the Incredible Hulk series uh, if you wanted to, um, but I don't think that would fulfill the promise of the show either. Um, and so, like, I'm very grateful that we're beginning to get into some of these things. I, maybe a topic for a future show would be um, whether we think we're getting away from what drew people to the show in the first place, um, because as we get deeper into some of these philosophical questions uh people get a little bit more verbose um we're dealing in questions of again philosophy and politics and religion are we going to start talking over kids for example's heads and, and they're not going to be as in tune with what we're doing here or, or again any of the audience that that originally tuned into this show are they going to lose people i don't know um, but I think that might be a fun topic for us to tackle soon. As long as we don't get a Mandalorian who is comes out and says, I am the best Mandalorian. Nobody knows the Mandalorians more than me. I am... Yeah, yeah, so that's my little Donald Trump <laughs> impression there. Anyway, um, so yeah, well, all right. Well, anything else on, this ep on these two episodes? We've talked a lot. 
-hmm. already this evening. No, it was, um, I think, I think I, I, what I'm enjoying a great deal and maybe it's just, is the fact that we are on this journey, so to speak. It's not, it's no longer just action beat, action beat, you know, on, on to the next episode. It's, they're trying to dig at some of the bigger questions within the characters and within Star Wars, the story, because the thing I feared of is, the, is that they were going to try to answer some of the questions that the sequels left. And they're trying to do some of that, but they're doing it in a way in which feels way less showy and more, more grounded. And I appreciate that. The, the questions of identity and belonging uh, are big. They're huge. They're, um, they're universal. Uh, and I love that we're, we're talking more about those, those questions and what those could mean for people. Well, all right, everybody, let us know what you think about these episodes of the Mandalorian. Um, and, uh, like I said, hit us up on Twitter or on Facebook or on the street or whatever. We'll talk to you about Star Wars. Um, but until next week, we will say who dat? Who dat? Good up. And everybody have an awesome, awesome week. My monkey.